Hello, and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And we are very excited to have David Reed with Chick-fil-A, the director of Understand, Imagine and Restaurant Experience with us today. David, welcome to the uh, program. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Glad to talk to you today. So <laughs> HF and I were, were talking before we we hit the record button just about how much we, we love Chick-fil-A. And I would imagine many of our listeners feel the same way. So we are extremely excited to have you on. Yes. Um, I was joking that, you know, I probably only eat there about two or three times a week. Um, <laughs> but uh, just... Tell us a little bit of your background, your story, you know, how you ended up at Chick-fil-A and how you got involved in continuous improvement. Yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, so I'm a mechanical engineer by degree, but I probably knew about halfway through my engineering school that I would have loved industrial engineering. I like process improvement. I like um, doing things efficiently. And I actually got that opportunity. My first job out of school was Michelin Tire. And they taught me industrial engineering, and I spent about five years um, improving their processes, doing capacity analysis, trying to figure out the best way to produce a tire, and um, uh, loved all of that. Uh, just quick, took a side detour in life, went to seminary, planted a church, and then uh, in in uh, 2012, uh, my family and I were headed in a different direction, and I got a call looking for uh, an industrial engineer for Chick-fil-A. And uh, I have found out since that uh, the quick service industry is, uh, I, I say it at Michelin, I had one factory that we needed to uh, improve the process for. At Chick-fil-A, we have 2,500 independent factories. And so uh, each of them have their own unique bottlenecks based on their sales mix, based on their specific layout, based on their product demand. And so uh, it, there's a lot of bottlenecks that we're trying to figure out and a lot of processes we're trying to improve. So it's it's a great job. David, once again, thank you very much for being here. And as Jake said, uh, I've been excited about talking to you because we all love Chick-fil-A and, you know, how you guys you know the whole patient experience is 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 part of the 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 entire package but i was just curious you know this podcast is is mainly about uh continuous improvement and process improvement and of course you think about that all the time in manufacturing you know with toyota with michelin as you said but but you never really think about it in the uh in the fast food business and and how did how did chick-fil-a how did they get into being a lean organization or uh, an organization that's that's focused on process improvement? Can you can you tell us a little bit of that history? Yeah, it's it's a fascinating story, really. I would I would say, um, you know, going all the way back to our founder, Truett Cathy, uh, uh, he had a lot of I'll, I'll call it horse sense. You know, he thought about flow and where do you where do you put the equipment in relation to all the steps that a chicken sandwich needs to go through. So, and then we, we hire operators who uh, are innovative and business minded. And so I think we've already always had kind of a continuous improvement mindset, but our biggest leap forward in lean 
was about 2015, we brought in a leader who had done a lean transformation at, at an adjacent industry. And he really brought in the, the concept that, hey, we have over 160,000 team members working in the process every day. We are leaving opportunity on the table if we don't take their ideas and and make sure that we're you know using their input into how we design our process. And honestly, that was a little bit different mindset for me at, at Michelin. You have a paid professional engineer who knows how to study a process and knows how to look for waste and figure that out. And then he comes kind of like Moses down, you know, coming down from the mountain with the uh, stone tablet saying, this is the way we should do it. And it really challenged my thought processes that team members um, might be the best ones to do process improvement. And uh, I certainly didn't disagree with that. I have about 10 engineers, so I have 20 eyeballs that can look at the process and think of better ways to do things versus 165,000 pairs of eyeballs who work in the process every day, who know the things that cause friction, know the things that are hard to do. We should deputize all of them to be change agents in the process. And honestly, that was tough for me to think about because I, I'm thinking about, well, food safety I'm thinking about people safety. I'm thinking about product quality and things that, you know, uh, uh, a 16-year-old team member working the process might not know the right decision to make in some aspects. And so what we did is we we set up some guardrails, and and they're they're really food safety, people safety, product quality, and equipment warranty. And you can't do anything that affects those. But if you come up with a unique idea that doesn't hurt any one of those. Uh, you are empowered as a team member to to uh, bring that to the forefront. And and so what we do is we have a Facebook page where team members put their ideas that they come up with. And I've seen really great things from, you know, how to organize your stock in your restaurant so that you know how to reorder quickly. I've seen things like um, I think one of my favorites that my engineers never would have thought of, but it happens uh, probably, you know, 20 times a day in every restaurant is uh, if you've ever seen a team member pulling a, a big um, trash bag out of a big 55 gallon trash can. Um, it was a team member who noticed, hey, these things are really hard to pull out because you've got suction underneath it. There, there's no airflow underneath it. And so when you pull it out, you're you're creating a vacuum. And so they said, hey, if I drill a hole, just a one inch hole in the bottom of the trash can, now when I pull that out, air can come in behind it and it's way easier to empty. My engineers never would have thought of that, even though we've sat in the dining room and watched people struggle with trash over and over and over again. But it's something that when you do the trash over and over again, it, it becomes obvious. And so uh, they're not hurting food safety, product quality, people safety or voiding any equipment warranties. And so let's let's publicize that idea and let everybody know that's a great idea to do. So so your your water line is those four four things and, and you let let them punch punch holes at will above that water line. That, that yep. That's really cool. I've seen lots of unique ways to store equipment. I've seen things people will buy from Home Depot to hold trash bags and dispense them. Um, uh, you know, one when we first rolled out our app. Um, a lot of customers would forget to scan and get their points. And so they would um, 
ask questions like, you know, right after they ordered their food and paid for it and they were done, they would say, oh, I forgot to scan my app. Can I still get points? Well, our team members are taught to be customer focused. And so our team members would patiently explain, hey, there's this website you can go to and, yeah, you know, do this and that kind of thing. And uh, that's great for the person who wanted to know the question. It's not so great for the two people behind them who just want to order their food and go. And so it was actually a team member who thought, hey, we have this little uh, customizable text on the bottom of our receipt. Let's put forgot to scan go to this website and put that on the bottom of every receipt. And when somebody asks you, now you can tell them in two seconds, hey, yeah, look at the bottom of your receipt. It'll tell you how to do it instead of the team member having to explain the whole process. Um, that was a team member who thought of that, and it certainly uh, increased uh, customer satisfaction overnight uh, when, when that was going on and a big deal in the restaurant. So team members really are the ones closest to the process and they know the pain points and they have great ideas and uh, we should, we should uh, take advantage of that. Well, I mean, you, you said a lot there and, you know, really you, what you ended up doing was describing the, the culture of continuous improvement at, at Chick-fil-A um, and, when I was thinking about the, the topic of the podcast, I was thinking about just how all of us are familiar with traditional uh, drive through um, fast food, the experience at, at most restaurants out there. But then when you go to Chick-fil-A, it is a, clearly a different experience when you're when you're going through. And there's several things that you notice, you know, the double drive through the the app, um, the ability to order ahead and, you know, having the team member out there kind of waiting in line with with the iPad to speed things up. And I've seen other organizations start adopting pieces of that flow, but it's still when you go to those, it, it, they haven't been able to recreate the entire Chick-fil-A experience, um, it seems. It seems, you know, even the flow doesn't seem quite as, as good as maybe it could be. Uh, can you talk about why you think you know, Chick-fil-A has been successful in adopting that culture of continuous improvement and really pushing the envelope with that experience and, you know, how it differs from competitors out yeah. there. Great question. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is Jim Collins in Good to Great talks about the flywheel. And it's really every push on the flywheel that ends up getting you momentum and uh, you can't really say, hey, was it the 200th push that actually, you know, got us going well? No, it was it was all 200 pushes that got us going well. And I would say, you know, first thing uh, for Chick-fil-A is our culture. We we um, hire operators, select operators who are customer focused, who are innovative, who want to push the envelope, who who want to put the customer first. And so I think it starts there. Then they hire team members who are that way. Then we certainly train for um, a focus on the customer. We call it second mile service. And when you have those kind of people who are committed to the vision, then we try to arm them with technology and with processes that make them successful. So one thing about our drive-through, we, we do try to have the fastest drive-through uh, and and you've got to make a big investment. Um, and oftentimes, you know, you build that very slowly over time. You need you need a lot of labor so that when somebody comes through a drive through and they're eight cars back, they know that eight cars is still going to be 
fast. And so you got to have the labor there to do it. Well, you, you need the 20 cars back in order to pay for the amount of labor that you need to make that really fast. And so a lot of times we will do that investment before we even have the demand. And and then we grow the demand because we create that expectation that you can get through our drive through really fast. I think that's that's a differentiator that a lot of people say, well, if I ever get that many customers, I, I could run that much labor. But we we kind of do that on the front end to build that many customers. So that's a big piece of it. I would say technologically, um, one thing that uh, it, uh, it, it is a industrial engineering problem. How do you split up the time that it takes to order, verify your order, pay, um, get through the line, get the food made and get that out to the customer? How do you do all that in the shortest amount of time possible? And And one thing we want to do is split that into as many parallel processes as we can instead of doing them sequentially. And uh, we we take that as a science and we've put iPads so that you can order. When you order upstream, uh, you've actually let the kitchen know, you know, up to five minutes ahead of time what is needed five minutes from now, as opposed to waiting until you get to a speaker box and asking, and maybe you only have two minutes of time. And so we're already making your food. The app is certainly designed to do that. Uh, we're always trying to improve that. We're working on a mobile through lane right now where you could order through the app and pick up your food without ever having to talk to somebody. And some customers want that. And if so, there will be this lane that has almost no friction and, you know, if you have a complicated order or you want uh, a team member talking to you, you can still go the traditional way. But we're trying to make an option for the people who want to go really fast to just get through and get their food and go. And, and as I think about healthcare, care, um, I'm, I'm a patient, you know, uh, and I've had lots of experience where I think, OK, I had to sit in the waiting room. I had to then go sit in the exam room. Then I, uh, you know, had had a uh, experience with a doctor. Then often I had to wait until somebody else was ready to let me go. And then I'm feeling sick. And now I have a prescription that I got to go get filled somewhere else uh, on a day that I'm sick. And by the way, if I if I extended on through that, oftentimes, you know, by the if I want to just go straight from there to the grocery store and get my prescription, it's not ready yet. Sometimes I have to come back the next day to get it. And and so we we treat people like that when they're sick. And is there a way that we could, you know, streamline that so that you get seen quicker, so that you get medicine, you know, from the place that you've already stopped at, all of those kinds of things. And I see I see the healthcare industry changing. I've I've uh, recently done the telehealth and that is a much better system where you talk to somebody, you know, without going anywhere, they call a prescription in for you. So I see you guys doing the same thing in your industry. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, we, we, we try now we're, we're, we're obviously many, many years behind, uh, you know, manufacturing when it comes to, to, to those lean principles, but, we're, but we're improving, but I wanted to ask you, do, do you guys, I mean, it's, it seems like anytime you go by a Chick-fil-A, no matter Jake and I were saying before we started, it may be two o'clock in the afternoon. It may be 10 o'clock in the morning and a time that you you wouldn't necessarily think as a, as a peak time. 
but did, did you guys use predictive models? Do y'all look at, and, and so you could flex up and flex down, or do you use queuing theory, you know, all those, all those things that we learn about and read about? Yes, uh, yes, we, we uh, do all of that. I'll, I'll just give you one example. So we use a Kanban system for our chicken. So we have a pull pan and a reserve pan. So chicken comes out of the fryer and and um, uh, our chicken has a whole a 20 minute hold time. So we don't want to serve you a sandwich if it's over 20 minutes old. So we have a big penalty if we overproduce. And yet the penalty for underproducing is a customer having to wait. So we are trying to thread the needle between not making too much chicken that it expires after 20 minutes and not too little that the customer has to wait. So we have a pull pan and a reserve pan. So the moment you run out of chicken in your pull pan, your reserve pan now becomes your pull pan. So you still got chicken. You're not out yet. That empty pan is now the signal that goes back to the breader. We hand bread our chicken in the back of the restaurant. And so when he sees that empty pan, that is his signal. I need to make some more chicken. And depending on what time of day it is, that restaurant's forecast for the next 12 minutes is being shown on an iPad. And so if it's, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday morning, um, you may not need but two fillets. You know, it's not even uh, we're not even technically serving uh, lunch yet, but sometimes somebody might order a sandwich early and so we're ready for that but if it's noon that may say if you get an empty pan right now put 24 fillets in that pan and so that is based on that restaurant's sales for the last six weeks and we drop the lowest and we drop the highest and we say that's your forecast and we divide that into how much chicken we think you'll need in the next 12 minutes and if well, the, what about what about if it's 10 a.m. on a game day weekend in the southeast? You know, we have <laughs> Ole Miss's first game is tomorrow against Troy. I imagine there's going to be a yeah. ton of Chick-fil-A in the grill. Our Oxford's yeah. Chick-fil-A has got to be so, ramping up already. So we got two things. First of all, we always think about the system is is what are the what are the circumstances on the ground? So if it's raining or if it's back to school or if it's game day, uh, you know, the breader breader will be thinking about that. And then secondly, the Kanban system will will throttle up your production. So if that pan comes back quicker, that is the signal to make chicken quicker than you would have made it if it you know if it took its normal 12 minute cycle. If you use all up all the chicken in six minutes, that pan comes back quicker and that that throttles the production up. So uh, uh, that that's how we try to hit that sweet spot. You, you talked about staffing models. Um, or, or, you know, hiring the appropriate number of staff and staffing up. It, it does seem like when you go into Chick-fil-A that that you guys do have more more staff than than other other fast food restaurants it, it is. How do y'all how did y'all come up with that model? Or I don't know if that's a good question, but yeah, yeah. I, I think it's all about creating the customer experience that we want to have. Uh, I've I've walked into competitors and um, people aren't looking at you, you know, when you come up the cash register and it almost feels like sometimes they're they're you know, they're busy and and they don't want to be bothered with taking an order. We take the opposite. Like like when you walk in the door, we want somebody to greet you. We want you to them you to know. Excuse me. Um, we want our customers to know that we're glad they're there. We're ready to take their order. Um, so we always have somebody looking toward the door so that as soon as you walk in some you know a, a 
a team member knows that you've arrived and is is ready to take your order. And I, I'd say our labor costs, this is my guess, is probably a good bit higher than our competitors. But to create that customer experience that we want, that's that's what we want to have. And then the average Chick-fil-A today is doing over 8 million sales. Uh, and so we because we've created this good experience, we have this demand so we can pay more for labor. Along the same lines, you mentioned uh, you know developing the culture that you have of continuous improvement. How it was very important to get you know operators that were uh, interested in continuous improvement, and that many of the new ideas come from team members. And I know that you know most of your team members are probably teenagers that will probably not be with the organization for very long. You know, how do you continuously instill? those uh that culture with uh i would assume is a high turnover yeah that, that that's exactly right and uh, i'd say there's two things we do and again this is from this uh, gentleman who joined our organization who had done a lean transformation somewhere else he brought in the idea we need to train everybody on lean and so he did something very lean we have a pull system that operators have to express interest in it but uh, we have a one-day lean class that goes from nine in the morning till four in the afternoon. Oftentimes, we'll bring like three restaurants worth of team member leaders in, maybe six people from each restaurant, and they teach them 5S, um, how to do material flow. Uh, they teach them um, several improvement methodologies in in just one day. And by the end of the day, these teams are so excited and they go back and do things in their restaurant. So we call that a lean kickstart. We do it in one day. We also have a program called Lean 365, and it is a monthly um, set of content and and operators can sign up for that and put their whole team through it. And and it's it's training you about lean over the course of a year. And then they can do things in the restaurant. And we really see it that, you know, we would love to create an army of lean thinkers, even if they don't stay with Chick-fil-A forever, to take it into the healthcare industry, to take it into whatever their future career is. So so we do uh, teach at the frontline team member level lean principles. David, then, we, we, go ahead, Jack. Finish well, up. I was just, yeah, so I have always heard that the way you all select operators is much different than other uh, I guess other fast food industries or just anybody else in the restaurant business that has a franchise type model. Um, you know, some I, I thought I heard somewhere that it was, it was more competitive than, you know, getting into like a, a top 10 business school or, you know, Harvard uh, program to, to become an operator or, or owner of Chick-fil-A. Tell us a little bit about that selection process and how y'all differ. Yeah, absolutely. So, so most other franchises, uh, are simply a business opportunity. Uh, oftentimes, the the franchisee puts up a lot of money, and and has you know invest a whole lot of money in it. We're uh, we're kind of the opposite. Chick Fil A puts up the big money. Uh, Chick Fil A builds the restaurant and and provides all the equipment. We're looking for a person who is the right fit to serve our customers to grow the business. And so uh, it is. I, I, we build 150 restaurants a year these days, uh, and and I the last time I heard a number, 60,000 people a year 
uh, go through the initial screening. Like you can go to our website and there's, hey, I'd like to be a Chick-fil-A operator. And you click it and it's got nine questions. And that's the very first screening. So we have 60,000 people a year that are ultimately competing for 150 new new stores. And um, you don't have to put up a lot of money. You put up a little money to show you got skin in the game. But really, we're more about finding somebody who's a fit with our our culture, a fit with our corporate purpose, a fit with uh, being entrepreneurial, being innovative, wanting to grow the business. And a lot of times we find people who came from retail from somewhere else or we find uh, uh, really from all walks of life. uh, And sometimes you don't know anything about the restaurant experience, but we take six weeks and train you. And then also when your restaurant opens, you have a professional team we call it a grand opening team who comes and helps you run the restaurant for two months because all your team members are new but theoretically you're new you haven't run a restaurant before and so we have a professional team that comes and we often have really high demand when everybody's been waiting for a chick-fil-a to open so we bring in a really professional team that can handle that demand and also is training the the team and that lasts about two months until you are running it by yourself yeah. Well, HF, I think, has already applied for the the store in New Albany. He wants he wants to be that part of that. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, I, I sure would like to have one there. But, David, you, you talked about culture, and we've mentioned this many times on, on this podcast. You know, Peter Drucker, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast or lunch or whatever. And also that culture drives behavior yeah. and behavior drives the results. And, and talk to us a little bit about the Chick-fil-A culture and how how that starts at the top and how that's cascaded down all the way to the frontline team member. Yeah, we, we're a family owned business. Uh, Truett Cathy, uh, who, who passed away in 2014, he started Chick-fil-A. He started in the restaurant business in 1946. He started franchising uh, Chick-fil-A's in 1967. And he was all about the customer. Like we serve great food to people, but but in addition to just providing them nourishment physically, uh, he believed in providing people uh, emotional encouragement, it, providing people a, a good experience that you you feel valued when you come into to our place. And so um, uh, the culture really started with with Truett and. Um, over time, we we saw that that is what we should be about as a business, our our vision as a company today is to be the world's most caring company. And that in itself rallies people around, hey, how should I treat this guest who just walked in the door today? Well, if, if you want to be the world's most caring company, that's a very different way you'll treat somebody than if your goal is just to make money or your goal is, you know, just to, to you know, clock out and be done with the day. And so, um, so it really does start at the top with just the this vision for for being a customer focused caring company. Uh, certainly, all of our leadership uh, buys into that. We uh, recruit for that. So so there's a piece of you you need to be aligned with caring for the customer. You know, for us to even hire you as an operator or a team member or a staff member. But then also uh, they cast vision all the time at Chick Fil A to remind us who are we doing this for and how do we best serve our customers and and um, are we living up to being the world's most caring company so it's an ongoing kind of refreshment of the vision that that goes on as well it's a big part of our 
uh, annual planning every year. What what should we do this year to take a step toward being the world's most caring company? Well, all this talk is uh, it's got me hungry for a spicy chicken sandwich. I know it's a little bit early. Maybe maybe I'll go get some chicken minis. We we have those available. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much, David, for joining us. Guys, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for what you do and uh, appreciate uh, getting to share with you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, David. Thanks, everybody, for listening to an episode of Connecting the Dots. If you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit.